Hello and welcome everybody to our IC podcast. You might know Hank van der Klok from the Irish Time or you might have seen his TED talk. This time he spent nearly an hour with us talking about his past and future adventures. He will tell us how seven years of round-the-world adventures have taught him how to keep moving forward when things get tough and how to bounce back from adversity stronger than ever. But before I let you listen to our podcast, I want you to let you know that we have another IC event shortly, which is the IC Board Games event. This Thursday, Thursday the 13th of June, 8 p.m. at the Gables in Douglas Street. But now I let you listen. Yeah, hello Hank. It's great to have you here. I'm really happy to have you here because first when I saw you and Ted, I thought it's probably impossible to get on hold on you because I would rather go to Oprah Winfrey and not to the ICC podcast. So therefore, <laughs> I'm very pleased to have you. And yeah, I'm really looking forward to your stories that you can tell us. Um, for those who haven't um, seen your videos on YouTube or for those who don't know you yet, you have done something very very unique so you have traveled a distance of six thousand kilometers correct yeah without money exactly yes six thousand kilometers through 13 countries completely uh, without money yeah and uh yeah first of all david very happy to be here as well thank you for having me uh i'm, I'm very honored to to be able to share my story uh with your listeners and uh so my name is hank vanderklok um i started traveling in in 2011 um and i started with small adventures and over time they got bigger and bigger until eventually i felt confident to do this last trip mm -hmm. which was a six month walk completely yeah. without money yeah and how did you prepare your walk without money from the netherlands to jerusalem was the final destination is that correct yes Yeah, so I, I chose Jerusalem, first of all, because I'd never been there before uh, and I always wanted to go. And secondly, I really like it when my journeys have some sort of historical or geographical significance. Mm -hmm. And by walking this route, I was walking the same route that the first crusaders walked in the first century. Mm -hmm. And so I thought that was kind of cool. Um, I decided to do it without money because over the past seven years, I've done a lot of other adventures. I paddled down the Mississippi River in a kayak. This took me 110 days. Yeah. I cycled from Holland to Istanbul. I also walked from England to Rome. And all these journeys that I did with money, I always did them with money. Yeah. I saw a lot of kindness. People that offered me places to sleep, people who gave me food, water. But then every time that I came home and I turned on the news, I would see a very different world. I would see just bad, bad, bad. And so with this journey, I wanted to show that there's this other side. Yeah. There's this good side that people often don't focus on, and especially because the news only shows us the bad side. Yeah. And um, that was the first reason. The second reason is in 2015, I was working with street children yeah. on the Thailand, on the border of Thailand and Myanmar. Oh, wow. And um, I wanted to try and raise some money for them uh, yeah. by putting myself in their shoes Even though I do speak English, I'm older, so it's, of mm -hmm. course, different. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, that was why I decided to do it. Okay, yeah. But, well, okay, I understand this, this how it all has developed. Mm -hmm. So, how you wanted to do this trip without having any money. Or what was the, the beginning of it? Because before you can do a trip without money, you have to probably... Um, You have to paddle the Mississippi mm. um, before you feel confident of um, doing a trip without money. And just just paddling the Mississippi is not something that I can I can just do from one day to another. So it needs True. It's need, it needs to be planned. Or that <clears throat> there must have happened something that brought you to the decision or to to the mindset of becoming an explorer. So why did you? paddle through the Mississippi in mm -hmm. the first place. What was the reason for that? Yeah, so definitely I, I, I didn't wake up one day and was able to just do this or I didn't have the belief that I could do it. Yeah. Um, I really believe that who you are now is not fixed. 
Um, even though you might not be able to do something now, you can become the person that can yeah. by getting new pieces of evidence, by getting new references, new experiences. And so over time, by doing all these smaller travels, um, the first thing I did was hitchhike. Mm-hmm. And I find, found out, hey, hitchhiking is possible. It's yeah. something where, I can where, do. Where did you do this? This was from Holland to France. This was maybe three or four days yeah. uh, to the south of France. And then I decided to walk on the Camino. It's called the El Camino de Santiago, yeah. also known as the Way of St. James. It's an 800-kilometer walk across the north of Spain. Yeah. And I had I had a GPS watch with me. I had maps with me. And I had all this survival gear because yeah. I thought, oh, man, this is going to be difficult. Yeah. And then as I did it, it turned out it wasn't that hard. It was easier than I thought. So this was, again, a new belief that I created for myself that, hey, um, it's often not as hard as it looks. Mm-hmm. You take it day by day. And then by making your goals smaller, yeah. it actually becomes manageable. Mm-hmm. Um, then a couple of years later, a couple of adventures later, I ended up paddling the Mississippi. Um, the idea for the Mississippi came because I had just walked from England to Rome and I had gotten plantar fasciitis, which is kind of a, a foot um, injury where it is really painful to walk. But I wanted to keep doing adventures uh, because I really wanted to be an adventurer. And so I figured I either go home or I have to come up with a plan that I can still go on an adventure. Mm -hmm. And so I figured, you know what, I'm going to do something in a kayak because then I can keep my feet up all day. Mm -hmm. And that's how the idea for the Mississippi uh, Mm -hmm. came about. Yeah. Yeah. So, but in order to to do these trips, you need to have money. So Mm -hmm. did you work or did you have any savings to do this or how did you or did you get any sponsors or how how was it um feasible for you i did everything without sponsorship so when i first started in 2011 i had just quit the dutch marine corps i was in the dutch marine corps for about six months but it turned out it was way too tough for me now um i'll give you a little bit of background i've my my father and my brother they are both businessmen and they're doing quite well for themselves and i've always been kind of a a quitter i'm the youngest i didn't really do anything special and i always felt like i had to prove myself to to my family that i can do something too um and unfortunately i quit two universities i quit many sports teams and then i figured you know what i'm going to join the marines because if you can do the marines then you're a real man and you're a fighting machine that's what i thought but it turned out that was too tough as well. And so I quit and that was very hard for me at first. How old were you back then? Uh, back then I was 24 when I, when I quit the Marine Corps. And so then about a year later, I decided to go travel to, to go on adventures because that was the perfect solution because now I could, first of all, prove to my father that I could stick with something. Mm-hmm. I could prove to myself yeah. that I could endure hardship going on all these crazy adventures that require mm-hmm. often a lot of uh, determination. And the best thing was I would be doing something different every yeah. single day. So that was, um, that was how I began doing my adventures. Mm-hmm. And then let's see, the question was how I started the Mississippi. Yeah. Without, uh, yeah. Oh, the money. Yeah, money. Money. Yeah, exactly. Money so, factor. Yeah, that's quite important. True. So at the beginning, I had the money from the Marine Corps saved up. That was about uh, 10 grand back then. And for that money, I could travel almost an entire year. And then as my money slowly started running out, I kept my eye more and more on my dwindling wallet. And I knew I'll have to start finding a job soon. Yeah. But it quickly turned out that whenever I started looking for a job, I would find it. Mm-hmm. And um, I worked on a cruise ship in New Zealand doing magic tricks, one of my hobbies. What exactly did you do? Uh, magic shows oh, on, magic on a cruise shows. ship. Oh. Yeah. Okay. You are a mentalist. For mm, I... No, just kind of like a close-up magician. I like doing some tricks. This also helped me on the way to Jerusalem, which I'll get to later. Yeah. It helped me connect with people when I didn't speak the language. Okay. And by doing a magic trick, can help you to still you know, get a, get a connection. Um, I also worked in a pizza bakery. I worked as a naked model once. That was an interesting experience. Naked, naked model. Yes. Yeah. So I I was staying in a hostel at the time and 
I heard some guys, they were saying, oh, we made 50 bucks uh, being a naked model, yeah. which means you just sit there and people draw you. Mm -hmm. And so I asked the guys for the phone number of these artists because I wanted to do this. Yeah. Um, because I needed money. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, I was invited to come over. First thing, they gave me a beer <laughs> yeah. to kind of calm down your nerves. And then, uh, yeah, you strip mm -hmm. down and they start yeah. drawing you. That was uh, quite the experience. Very interesting. And then I also worked in Australia in um, olive oil and in wineries. Work and travel or through the work and travel visa? Or? Yeah, exactly. I was working holiday. And the money in Australia back in 2011 was very good. Mm. So I could work for three months there. And from that money, I could travel for nine months. Yeah. And I did that four years in a row. Four years in a row. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So after two years, two, two working holiday visas, I ended up knowing the places where I could go. So yeah. I would sneak in on a tourist visa uh -huh. and then uh, get my, uh, get my yeah. job that way. Did you also go to New Zealand or only Australia? Uh, New Zealand as well, yeah. Okay. Again, working on wineries, working on farms. Yeah. There's there's always a job if yeah. you want to work. There's there's always a job to find. Yeah, I know. I um, I also did this work in travel uh, visa in um, Australia back in 2006. And uh, 2006, I yeah. yeah, I can second this. So there's actually always a way how to to work. You know, you can you can work on a you can do fruit picking or you can do you can work as an extra in Sydney. So there are plenty of possibilities you have if you are eligible for this work and holiday visa. And I think if you work for three weeks on a farm, on a farm, you can extend the visa for another year. True. And so you can actually stay two years, um, two consecutive years. I don't know if it has to be a consecutive year, but you can stay like two years in Australia if you have worked for three months in, on the, at the same farm doing fruit picking. And the same applies to Australia to New Zealand. True. So yeah. it's um, you know it's, I I haven't been to New Zealand, but I I presume that this is um, similar. So I have a friend. He actually he did the same like me, but in New Zealand, and um, he is now working as a beekeeper selling manuka honey from New Zealand to Germany. Wow! Quite successful. Yeah. Actually, so he had a background. In logistics, or so he used to work in a in a shipping um, company in Germany. So after the after finishing his traineeship, he he did this um, he did this work and travel in um, New Zealand. He found a he found a passion for beekeeping. Yeah. And so this is how how um, he ended up as a as a beekeeper selling manuka honey from New Zealand. Um, yeah. To to Germany. You know, it reminds me of a Steve Jobs quote where he says, you cannot connect the, do the dots looking forward. You can only connect them looking back. So this friend of yours, he took a chance. He just started traveling. Uh, he didn't know how things would go, but now ended up everything falling into place. Yeah. And he has his business in uh, Manuka Honey. That's, Absolutely. I love that. Yeah, it was actually the best case scenario that could ever happen to him. I was yeah. Saying, you know? And so... You get so much back when when you travel, you know, in terms of experience, in term, terms of knowledge, and um, this also applies to you, I would guess. You know, you wouldn't have been capable if you if you hadn't have all these experiences from from traveling and working at different places. And so, therefore, I would like to know how did you end up in Cork? How did I end up in Cork? Actually, yeah. I was, let's see, I was working in Canada as a wilderness guide on horseback. So we were taking people on 14-day pack trips um, into the mountains. And there I met a girl. She became my girlfriend. We um, went back to Europe. And I then ended up going on a new adventure. I went on a, on a bike ride from Holland to Istanbul. And... That was uh, 60 days, so two months. And in those two months, she got a job here in Cork at Apple. Oh, really? Uh, so she ended up working for Apple. In that time, we broke up because, oh, okay. well, I was on an adventure here and she was here, had her own life. Um, and then years later, we met again in Australia and she was telling me about, because I needed a job at that point, yeah. she was telling me about a job in Cork. And so um, I ended up uh, coming to Cork. I, I had been here once before in, I think, 1997. 
Oh, wow. Had a really wow. good memory. Yeah, I was young. I was maybe, what, 12 or 11? Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember being in the pubs and there were all these other people with, with instruments coming in and everybody could just join in. It was very happy and open and friendly. And so, yeah, I came back to Cork and it's the perfect size city for me. I've, I've never liked big cities, mm-hmm. but Cork is in the middle, a lot of international people, yeah, a lot of activities. Um, and yeah, it's, mm-hmm. uh, for me at the moment or back then in 2016, when I first moved to Cork, after seven years of adventure, yeah. being in one place had become the adventure. Mm-hmm. So to, yeah. to just stick in one place, to have the same friends again, to cook my own meals every day, mm-hmm. to have my own apartment, something I hadn't had for years. Yeah. And this was... To uh, have routine, yeah. To have routine, yeah. yeah. So like now you have a certain routine for three years, which you haven't had for many years, no? True. Yeah. True. So... How is it for you having this routine now? Do you miss do you miss it very much that you are not able to explore as long as you are employed? It's pretty hard or it's nearly impossible to do anything yeah. like you did in 2006 well in two, when was that trip and um, where you where you did this backpacking tour this um, the six month trip to from From the Netherlands to Jerusalem without money, when, which year? This was in 2018. So ah, exactly like you're saying, yeah, I, I had to, uh, yeah, I had to actually quit my job yeah. uh, at Apple to do this. Um, and on on one side, I I always when I'm speaking about my travels, I talk about why it's so important to have adventure in your life. And of course, not everybody wants to travel. Not everybody wants to do these crazy adventures. Mm. And What I always like to say is adventure doesn't have to be big. You can try a new flavor of ice cream. You can try a new hair color, a new style clothes, buy a leather jacket. Um, You can drive a different route home from work. Adventure is doing something without knowing the outcome. So even if you're stepping on a bus on a new number here in the city, 215, you don't know where it's going. And then you just spend the day there. That's already an adventure. It's a micro adventure. And so for me, Now living in one place, I still want to do the bigger adventures, but I do that once every three years. Mm-hmm. So Cork has become my base and I want to stay yeah. here long term. Mm-hmm. But aside from that, I try to find the adventure in the everyday things. Mm-hmm. Now in Cork, there's hill walkers clubs. There are nice new ways like yoga. I, I've always wanted to do yoga, but I was kind of afraid of doing it as a guy. Yeah. It's going to be weird doing yoga. And I ended up doing it and I love it. And mm-hmm. it's, it's a very normal thing to do. A lot of guys actually do yoga. Mm-hmm. And so by doing something without knowing the outcome, in this yeah. case, yoga, I learned, learned new things. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, mm-hmm. that's what I love, challenging my beliefs about the world. So are you actually planning already your next adventure? I, I, I am, yes. <laughs> it's um, what I want to do is... The next journey, maybe in two years, um, is break the world record longest barefoot walk. Okay, I just thought it cannot get any bigger than what you did, but um, now you <laughs> prove the opposite. <laughs> I, I have actually many ideas. I'll tell you about another idea that I also want to do. So there's actually two things that I'm thinking about doing. One is the barefoot walk. Yeah. Um, and this world record is currently in the hands of an Irishman. Yeah. And uh, he walked a circle around Ireland and a little bit more because yeah. his journey took just over 2000 kilometers. Oh. So that's, that's what I would have to break. Yeah. Um, I want to do it across India. Um, because mm-hmm. I really like the idea of India because when you're walking bare feet, I'm thinking you have to really be where your feet are yeah. because there's so much glass on the road maybe. And yeah. uh, for me, that journey is really going to be about being present, being in the present moment. I want to be completely without electronics, yeah. make it a digital detox Mm-hmm. And in India, it's the country of meditation, of yoga. Yeah. That's really a new, new part of life. What I'm exploring this this past year, uh, yeah. a bit more spirituality. Uh-huh. Very interesting. Yeah. Another adventure that I really want to do is there are two towns in Siberia, two mm-hmm. towns, and they both claim to be the coldest inhabited town in the world. Yeah. So there's one town over here saying, "I'm the coldest. We're the coldest," and this other town is saying, "We're the coldest," mm-hmm. and they're 1,400 kilometers apart. Wow. And so I want to trek from the one town. So that 1,400 kilometers 
the path, but they are both in Siberia. They're, yeah, Siberia okay, is huge. Like, yeah, that's, that's it's it's really, really fast. Yeah. Um, but they're both saying we're the coldest. And so together with an Irish author, I want to walk from the one town to the other town uh-huh. to see who is right. Yeah. But also to take the, um, the changing environment and get to capture this before the global warming is going to change their way of life over there. Yeah. Okay. So when, so do you have already a sponsor for this or how will you do that? Exactly. That's the thing. The Siberia walk will require a sponsor because it's really in the middle of nowhere. We'll need some kind of backup emergency evacuation plans because it's minus 60. It's the yeah. coldest inhabited place in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, well, it depends on the time of the year. So, so I guess you we're, we're going to do it in winter. winter. Yes. Yeah. We're going to do it in winter. So yeah. it's, it's even colder than it is on Antarctica because Antarctic journeys are always done in the summer mm-hmm. on Antarctica. So this will pretty much be the coldest journey ever. Mm-hmm. So this is another thing, as I said before, that I didn't know how to do this. How do you survive in the cold? Yeah. Um, and again, I believe who you are now is not fixed. You can become the person that knows by getting new references. So after I walked to Jerusalem, I went to Lapland. Yeah. Um, this is only three months ago when I finished oh. there. And I was working there with dog sleds, uh, with snowmobiles, mm-hmm. taking people on tours. And this was in minus 30. Yeah. And this is the first time that my body was exposed to this temperature. Yeah. And I learned, hey, my body can cope with those temperatures mm-hmm. because you just need the right clothes. It actually turns out that the the humidity there in the cold regions is much lower than it is here in Cork. Yeah. And so it doesn't suck the energy, the, the heat out of your body like it does here in Cork. <laughs> so it's um, I learned a lot more about how you can survive in the cold. And that's the first step to being ready for yeah. this bigger journey in a couple of years. Okay, so the, um, what comes first? The, the journey to Siberia or the, the barefoot, uh, barefoot journey in India? The barefoot journey in India, yes. Barefoot, okay. Yeah. So is there already a fixed date for that? No, 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 That's not yet. No, it's really still uh, two years away, I think. Yeah, because yeah, I, I really just started selling down here and I really want to enjoy yeah. this as well. But that journey would take about three months. So after that, I can just come back here and mm-hmm. hopefully uh, do full-time speaking. That's, mm-hmm. that's another reason why I, I want to live in Ireland. Uh, the Irish people love storytelling. Yeah, it's it's very big here. <laughs> and... Uh, there's so many events to speak at. Uh, there's yeah. so many pubs where in the top you can you can speak. Yeah. Yeah. I remember in, in the roundy here in Cork, Killian Murphy, the actor, he was there doing storytelling mm-hmm. uh, last year. Yeah. And so it's uh, it's really part of the Irish culture to, mm-hmm. to do storytelling. Yeah, well, when it comes to storytelling, I mean, you can just tell millions of stories just from your trip to Jerusalem. 6,000 kilometers without money every day, every day is like a, like an adventure of its own, you know? So every day is different. Every day is a different challenge. So, um, you know, in terms of the country, the culture, the weather, there's nothing that can really be foreseen. So when you, when you started in, um, in the Netherlands, What time of the year was that? Mm-hmm. You, you're right. The journey like this is really embracing the unknown. Yeah. Um, I started in April, so April. it was on the way to the summer. Um, I remember the week before I left, I was nervous. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I would wake up and my heart would be yeah. going like crazy because I had no idea if people would actually help me. I had no experience with this. I had the belief that I'm pretty sure people will help me. Um, but I didn't know for sure until I actually tried. And the first few days when I left in April, I was afraid to go into restaurants to, to ask for food. Because what do you say? You know, I was, I was nervous. I was afraid. And I, I had no idea how to say it, how people would react. And I was a little bit ashamed yeah. to, to ask for food. And so the first few days I would go into supermarkets and I would eat food samples. So in Holland, you have all these little blocks of cheese. They're little tasters. So I would just keep walking circles through the supermarket and keep eating the cheese mm-hmm. until either the cheese ran out or people started to look at me a little bit sideways. And then I would quickly move on to the next supermarket. And then um, eventually I did muster up the courage to to start asking for, for food. And actually, when I rang a doorbell, I wouldn't actually ask for food. I would ask them for, I would 
explain my journey, tell them who I was, make sure they understood I have no money. And then I would just ask for them to fill my water bottle. Mm-hmm. And interestingly, in the time it took them to fill the water bottle yeah. and walk back, they had the idea by themselves to offer me something to drink, something to eat, or even uh, even a hot meal for on the way. Yeah. And that's when I realized people need a little bit of space to themselves. They need a little bit of time to realize how they can help you. Do you think that would have helped you if they would have known you are homeless? Or, I mean, do you think it has it mattered it mattered for them that you are on a trip on a on a challenge and that you're not one of these people who live in the streets who mm. who um, they probably would not dare to to ring the doorbell and to ask for food? Do you think that that this mattered? Yeah, I, I definitely think this made it easier because I I was still a bum, but I was a bum with a mission. Yeah. And that definitely uh, makes it easier to connect with people because yeah. people can relate to this. They're, they're now becoming part of something bigger, right? By helping me, they're becoming a part of the adventure. So that definitely made it easier. People often ask me, well, you were able to do this because you're white. You were able yeah. to do this because you're male. Yeah. And I always like to tell those people, well, do you think Barack Obama would be able to do this? Do you think Will Smith would be able to do this? And I think they definitely would be able to do this because it's not about if you're black or white or female. It's about the energy that you project into the world. It's about the the, the charisma and the mm-hmm. yeah how, how you approach people. It's how you say it, mm-hmm. and not not necessarily what you look like. Mm-hmm. Okay, interesting. So it started off probably easily, you know. In the Netherlands, there's no language barrier. <laughs> yeah. You have Uh, well, more like a vague idea how people may react. You know, in Germany, people may be a little bit different, but not not that much different different to to the Netherlands. That you know, you 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 speak German. I I can second that that you speak German. We um, spoke German before, but the further you go, you went south. <clears throat> the more you struggled, probably with the language barrier. I, I assume. Yeah, well. definitely, definitely. I, I actually didn't go through Germany, so I How went. Through I went through uh, France because that's where the Crusaders walked uh, back in the first century. Okay. Um, but yeah, in Holland and Belgium, I spoke the language, and I wasn't just surviving; I was thriving. I was actually gaining weight in those first few weeks. Oh, really? It was so. It became so easy once I figured yeah. it out. Um, the way I did it in Holland, and also later on, when I would go into a bakery, I would first very quickly try to assess. Who is standing there behind the counter? Is this somebody who is a little bit shy? Is this someone who is very energetic, very high energy? Because I wanted to match their energy. Mm-hmm. If they were very high energy and I would come in very shy, hi, uh, my name is Hank. Can can I can I maybe? Yeah. Then they would just run right over me and be like, "What do you want?" You know. Mm-hmm. Then you're an energy sponge, as I like to say. On the other hand, if the person in the bakery is very shy and I come in, hi, my name is Hank. How are you? Then that might really intimidate them, and again, they would not help. Make they wouldn't help you. The, so you have uh, to read the people. You have to read the people, match their energy, and then uh, slowly take them to a higher energy level. That's that's what I found works the best for me. Yeah. I would also say in the beginning, the first sentence I would say is, "I have a very special question," mm-hmm. and I would learn this sentence in all the different languages. Yeah. Um, why did I say this? First of all, it kind of shocked them out of their routine because now they knew, oh. I have to pay attention. This is going to be something different. Because in the beginning, when I didn't say this, I would just start to explain my journey. They were kind of half listening because they were waiting for me to make my order. They were waiting for me to say, okay, okay, okay. Ah, you just want some bread, right? But by saying, I have a special question, they kind of woke up and they knew, okay, pay attention. And it also confirmed their reality by saying, this is, I have a weird question they knew, ah, this guy can see the world from my perspective. He knows this is something strange to ask. Yeah. And that, that created a connection as well. As I said, in Holland, I was gaining weight, but then I got to France. I don't speak the language. Yeah. And of course, we all know the French. Yeah. <laughs> just kidding, of course. The French were, were actually just as happy to help as the people in Holland and Belgium. Um, actually, in France, I had like a, a black bag on the side of my backpack. This was my food stash, my backup. Yeah. So whenever people gave me food, I would put 10% of that food in that bag for 
because I knew one day people are going to stop helping me. So I wanted to have a little bit of a backup. But over time, this back became smaller yeah. and smaller and smaller until eventually I got rid of it. And that was the moment I truly began to believe that the kindness of strangers is something you can reliably depend upon. Mm-hmm. So now I was really living from moment to moment, from day to day. And to come back to your question with language, when I got to the different language countries, so there were eight different languages in total throughout the 13 countries, I first of all had little laminated cards that explained my journey in all the different languages. I had prepared those beforehand. Yeah. I'd laminated them for if they had, would get wet in the rain, then they would uh, not go away. I did lose some along the way, but I always learned the local language, as in I learned to introduce myself, I learned to explain my journey and ask for water or some some old bread. Mm-hmm. And even though I didn't speak the language perfectly, just trying that already gave me a um what do you call that a likability factor maybe because oh look at him cute he's trying to speak the local language yeah and again when i when i really couldn't connect with them with language i would use a magic trick to um and this is what's the magic trick so i would make a stone disappear mm-hmm. i can uh, i can show it to what, you what, but the what, audience what, won't what, be able to see it <laughs> what kind of stone you mean uh, i actually brought it with me yeah i'll show it to you so let me describe it These are four stones. Um, I found them on the side of the road. Yeah. And they are kind of now my memory from my trip. Normally, I would do this trick with four coins, and I would one by one make them disappear from my one hand, from my left hand to my right hand. Mm -hmm. And now I do this trick with with the four stones. Okay, the four stones now to your right hands. You want me to do it? Yeah. (laughs) All right. So here I have one, two, three, four stones, okay? Now what I'm going to do is four stones are going to go from my right hand over to my left, one by one. Here we go. One, two, three. One stone well. jumped across. <laughs> Now I can't continue, but it takes a while. But you get the, uh, yeah. you get the idea. Yeah. Well, And, and then usually uh, people go crazy even if they don't speak the language. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's that's amazing, I must say. So, so you, you you said okay, you can always rely on the friendliness or of of strangers. Yes. So the kindness of strangers is something you can reliably depend upon. Yeah. Exactly. Um, of course, there are people that didn't want to help me. Yeah. Um, and this is of course very normal. But at some point, it also becomes a little bit of a numbers game. Yeah. But the vast majority of people were more than happy to help. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And a, a lot of listeners might be thinking, well, I've never seen that kind of kindness in my life. I mm-hmm. think that, uh, that, yeah, I've never seen this. And I think that's because they've never been in a situation yeah. where it, they really need that help. Mm-hmm. But they can take my trip as evidence that if they're ever in a situation where they really need that help, there will be someone there. Yeah. I think I, I think it's a different different story if you ask for a cigarette rather than <laughs> asking for for bread and 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 water. So people may be may get annoyed by someone who's begging for a cigarette, but if someone is begging for water or or bread or essential things, they can relate to this. They can mm. they can show empathy to, towards you, and so this is. I told you before we we um, we did this podcast that I have been um, a scout when I was a kid, and we had to ask for water every day. We had to ring bells and asking strangers for waters and for water. And it, I can't remember that they have refused giving us water. Yeah. Not. Not a not a single not a single time, you know, and, and I was was very ashamed to ask the people in the beginning, but it turned out that is very easy, and that you can I can actually second what you just said that you can really rely on the kindness of the people when it comes to such essential things as water and food you know yeah i i think in our western society we really pride ourselves on taking care of ourselves right that's i'm independent i take care of myself um but when i for example got to albania which was the poorest country that i went through Mm 
It's kind of like the India of Europe. Yeah. Um, there, they don't have the same social system that we have, the same safety net. Yeah. And so often when I went into a village there and asked someone to help me, they would drum up the entire village and people would come from everywhere yeah. and they would start to help me because in their society, it's a much more common to help each other because yeah. that's all you have. You have your community. Yeah. And um, yeah, that's, that's something we haven't lost, yeah. but it's something we're not aware of anymore because we are also focused on taking care of ourselves. Yeah. But yeah, people, you can actually depend on people to help you if mm -hmm. you, uh, if you dare to ask. Yeah. And, you know, just one thing I want to add, because a lot of times, and actually this was the only comment under a article in the Irish Times was, you scab, you have money, but you won't spend it. Why don't you pay for your own holidays? <laughs> right. And I totally get that. Why that people think, hey, you have money. Why don't you, why are you traveling without money? Yeah. And so um, even though that I was traveling without money, I couldn't, uh, I didn't have the currency of money. I did have the currency of human connection. Mm -hmm. So my focus was always on giving back to people in by inspiring them with stories, by pulling them out of their routine, by showing them that, hey, if this is possible, then maybe what they want to do in their life is possible as well. Mm -hmm. I was doing magic tricks. Mm -hmm. So I was always trying to give back in some way. Yeah. So that was your currency. That was my currency, yeah. the <laughs> currency of human connection. Yeah. Nice. So you needed it took six months from the netherlands to jerusalem so on average how many days did you spend in each country um so well, it depends on the size of the country obviously. yeah But generally speaking so mm -hmm. generally three to five weeks mm -hmm. so i also came through slovenia that was only two days yeah i also went through bosnia which was two hours because yeah. it was at the coastline at the Adriatic Sea yeah. and they have just this really tiny bit of beach that's yeah. all the beach Bosnia has um, but yeah on average uh, uh, three to five did it cause any trouble at the border because they might have found this journey a bit suspicious especially how did you actually travel from Turkey to to Israel how was that possible Yeah, so that that's actually um, uh, that was one of my biggest problems. How am I going to get to Israel? And in the in all the European countries up until Turkey, I had no issue because it's all Europe. Um, yeah. uh, actually, it wasn't all Europe. Albania wasn't. Uh, sorry, it is Europe, but not European Union. Yeah, yeah. Um, but they didn't give me any any problems at all. Actually, that was that was went quite easy. Also in Turkey, I got through without a problem. Yeah. Um, but then I had to make a decision. Am I going to walk via Syria yeah. or am I going to walk via Cyprus? Now, wow. Syria was a war. Yeah. And also the border between Lebanon and Israel was closed. So that was yeah. that was really a no-go. Yeah. So my only other option was to go via Cyprus, the island. But going via Cyprus meant I would have to take a ferry, a boat. And a boat cost money, yeah. something I didn't have. So my plan was when I would actually get to the harbor, I wanted to just hang around the harbor, get to know people, maybe a captain. Maybe I would talk to a, a barber, like, the, like a hairdresser. The, the Greek side of, of Cyprus. Yes. So actually I walked across both. So I was yeah. in Turkey. Then I first went across the Turkish side and then across the Greek side. That was not a problem. No, this was uh, a lot of people warn about this, that it's very hard to cross mm -hmm. from the one side to the other. But in my situation, um, if you go via the border crossing, then it's no problem. But you can also just walk through the bushes and go to the Greek side. And if you then try to leave Cyprus from the Greek side, then you don't have that stamp in your passport yeah. from the border crossing. And then they give you problems. Yeah, yeah. That's where it becomes up. I went through the, uh, the border crossing, so I had no, no issue there. Yeah. But how do I get to Cyprus yeah. in the first place? So when I was in the harbor, um, it turned out the last ferry of the season had already left. So I was stranded. I was stuck. And I thought my journey was pretty much over. Um, but then after a while, I remembered that the only way I had gotten this far was by talking to other people, by meeting other people. So I went back into the city and I began sharing my story with everybody, talking to everybody, doing magic tricks, trying to connect with as many people as possible, always telling them about my journey and about my dilemma of how I didn't know how I was going to get to Cyprus and then Israel. Yeah. 
And eventually different people ended up coming together and they bought me a cheap flight. So that was... Uh, okay, cheap flight from, from Turkey to the Turkish side of Cyprus. Yes. And from there you walked, you crossed the border mm -hmm. and you took a ferry from... But how did you... How did you travel without money from from Cyprus to um, Israel? Again, the same way. Same way. I again met people who ended up paying a flight for me to oh, wow. to get to to Israel. Yeah. And what did they get back from you? They got a, a selfie. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I had on my website a wall of kindness where all the people that helped me in small and big ways. I had a collage of of hundreds of photos of people that helped me. Mm -hmm. um, That's a good question. What do they get back? I think it's an intrinsic thing that they get back. So they, and I'm just assuming here because for everyone is different, but I assume because they are now a part of the adventure that, mm -hmm. that makes them feel good. They helped somebody in need yeah. that made them feel good. Um, you should mention them in the podcast um, notes. Yeah, we should. We should. Yeah, yeah. I can definitely send you the names yeah. if they want to be shared. That is uh, a lot of people helped just out of the kindness of their hearts, not because they wanted to be mentioned or anything like that. But uh, yeah. 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 That's great. So like how, how much money did they collect for, for the flight from Cyprus to, to Israel? From, so from, from, I think from Greece, from uh, Turkey to Cyprus, it was 20, 30 euros. Okay. That's not I'm not hundred percent sure. Um, and to Israel, I, I can only guess, I don't know. Yeah, this was probably more expensive. Okay, so then you flew from Cyprus to Tel Aviv? Or? To Tel Aviv. And then, of course, I wanted to walk the whole country. So I ended up doing a, a circle, kind of yeah. like a victory lap at the end. Yeah. I went up to Haifa, which is yeah. all the way up north. And then went uh, in a circle back down to, uh, to Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. And when I got there, when I touched the Western Wall, yeah. um, my journey had come to an end. My yeah. parents were there. They and so for you. they, yep, they were waiting for there for me. They had brought my wallet, of course, as well. Mm -hmm. And one of the reasons that I haven't told you yet why I wanted to do this journey is my father is incredibly cynical. Now, uh -huh. seven years of adventures and travels have shown me that the world is a kind and generous place. You've, mm -hmm. you've heard that. But my dad is a businessman and 40 yeah. years of round the world business have shown him that the world is a bad and rotten yeah. place. And so part of the reason why I wanted to do this journey was to show him. Yes. The opposite dad there is this better world out there yeah. so when i saw him at the wall i and he had followed my entire journey of course i asked him dad mm. is your opinion now changed on yeah. the world and he said no the world is a rotten place <laughs> his his opinion hadn't changed and that's one of the biggest lessons i learned on the way to jerusalem and that is you choose what you focus on yeah you can choose to see a good world that's or you can true. choose to see a bad world yeah. you can um, choose to see problems or opportunities. And yeah, it depends on the perspective. Yeah. And what and you focus on, on. Your approach, yes. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. What you focus on becomes your reality. And then I like to say, why not focus on the reality that serves you? Because if, like my dad, you just focus on why everything is bad and why it sucks and why the world is rotten, that's just going to make you bitter. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't serve you. So instead, because both is true, there are bad people. Mm -hmm. But there are also good people. Yeah. And uh, I like to focus on the on the good side. Because mm. yeah. it makes me all warm inside. Yeah, right. Yeah. Well, human beings are very, very complex. And uh, True. so I also don't like the the way how we judge people and good people and bad people. You know, it's like that's everything inside of, of a human being. You know, it's it's like like a wolf. It depends on on which The wolf has very, very good instincts and has also, also can be a very deadly animal. And yeah. it depends on, on which instinct you feed at the end. And you, you, your, your approach was to, to seek the kindness in the people. And it was a success. Otherwise, you wouldn't have traveled so far. So... That's really amazing. And was there never a moment where you thought, okay, I give up? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. There were, um, so there were days that I ate nothing. Yeah. There were days where I ate dry bread. 
I mean, especially when you're hungry, you have it's, it's, it makes you it makes you aggressive. Are you, you aggressive? Tired? Yeah. Yeah. thoughts when you when you're hungry. So how yeah. do you get over it? Uh, so at some point, I even had vitamin deficiency where the skin started to oh. to peel off my hands. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So then I really began to focus on trying to get fruit and vegetables because people they often want to give you and and they're so kind, but they always want to give you chocolate and. Yeah. They're like, oh, you need, you need, you know, you need to get the sugary foods. Yeah. And in reality, I needed fruits and vegetables. Uh, just, did, did just you tell your parents that you had vit- um, vitamin deficiency? <laughs> yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, it's in one of the videos as well. Um, but that's another thing I learned along the way, because one day I, I met a man, I was at his home and in the morning he asked me, what do you need? And I was very shy and humble to, to really just say what I wanted, because I almost had no food left. And he asked me, what do you want? And I said, can I maybe have two sandwiches? Yeah. And as soon as I said that, he got very serious and he pointed his finger at my chest and he said, listen, you have to tell me what you want, because if you don't, you put the pressure on me to figure it out. Yeah. And that's not nice. And that's when I realized it really shocked me because I realized my whole life I've been this people pleaser where I just say what's socially acceptable. I'm very agreeable. I don't want to step on people's toes. But by saying what you want, you give other people permission to also ask for what they want. Mm-hmm. And so it's okay to just ask them. So sometimes people would offer me chocolate and I'd be like, oh, do you maybe have some 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 fruits or vegetables? I really need some vitamins. Yeah. And this was okay to ask. Yeah. Uh, I learned eventually. Yeah. yeah. You know, in that situation, it's, I think it's, it's more, more than okay to ask. But, <laughs> but it's hard to... Well, You said you were ashamed or you felt shy shy to this, but um, yeah. But if you don't, if you are not sneaky enough, you you will not get what what you need eventually. So that's yeah, yeah. That's it sounds really amazing because um, when I think about this, if it was me, it it must be so great to um, to leave your own comfort zone and to challenge your own fears and to get to get over it you know <laughs> yeah i first thought okay well he did this he 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 um paddled the um, mississippi he he traveled without money um to jerusalem so that may apply or that's can somebody someone can do this who who's who's very extrovert or who who doesn't have any kind of shame Then you can do this, but you don't appear as someone who who is like that. You know that makes it even more impressive for me to see because I actually see. Okay, and this is something that's. I wouldn't say that's something that everyone can do. It also depends on the privilege of having an EU passport or not being disabled, but. It's possible if you leave your own comfort zone and if you if you challenge your own fears to at least it's possible to get a step further, you know, to do things that you thought were impossible. It doesn't have to be necessarily this journey to Jerusalem without money. It can be something nice. You know, if I if I was in a wheelchair, it can be a different challenge you know uh, i i don't have an example now mm-hmm. because i um i don't have the empathy now to to understand how is it like living in a wheelchair and yeah. not being able to to walk but um it's remarkable that or it's good to know that we can actually challenge our own own fears and that this is not something that is um impossible and, and it, i totally agree and it is not impossible but it is very scary mm-hmm. and you know often when you go out of your comfort zone you just want to run back to your comfort zone you don't want to do it and i'll tell you exactly why i was able to walk to jerusalem without money right because you're saying wow you are so fearless that you can do that but at the same time i'll confess to you right now there's someone here in cork that i want to ask out a woman And I've been struggling for the last few weeks to do it. Yeah. Uh, and so the, you might think, wait a minute, you can travel without money, but you're afraid to ask somebody out. How, yeah. how is that possible? And the difference is walking to Jerusalem, I had burned my ships 
Mm-hmm. I had left myself no way out because I had no wallet, no credit cards. Yeah. I had no other way. I had to walk into that store and ask for food. So I, because I had no way out, mm-hmm. I had to find yeah. the resourcefulness, the creativity within myself. Yeah. So often in our own lives, it's hard to go out of your comfort zone because you don't have, you, to. You don't have to. Yeah. So you can burn your ships as well by, for example, posting publicly on Facebook, I'm going to join a gym. Mm-hmm. Or by telling your friends, I'm going to do yoga. And then you have, they're going to keep you accountable. There's no way back. Because now the pain of losing your reputation is maybe higher than the pain of having to go to the gym. Mm-hmm. Right. And so that way you can force yourself to go out of your comfort zone. Mm-hmm. And once you're through it, it yeah. almost always turns out, hey, it wasn't as scary as I thought. Mm-hmm. I love that saying where they say, the cave you fear to enter holds the treasure you seek. Mm-hmm. That's one of my favorites. Yeah. Yeah. I you need to think about this, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a nice um, saying and it's um, really true. I mm. believe. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Now we have talked for more than 52 minutes and um, time flies. Yeah. Time flies and I could, could go on and on. And yeah, I would love to make another podcast with you. There's so much more to talk about. Um, we we just had a glimpse of everything. So traveled through 13 countries and we only talked about a few. Yeah, there's so, so many things that happen yeah. along the way. Yeah. 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 No, we can definitely do that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I would love to. And I, I'm sure that the listeners today that you... Yeah, you have inspired them and um, yeah, we definitely need to do this again and um, I'm, I'm very happy again that, um, that you came. It was, it was just amazing. It was um, inspiring and yeah, so I wish you all the best for your next journey, which will be in a few years and I will definitely follow your journey and you said that the next journey will be a barefoot walk in India. You want to break the world record. Maybe, maybe in three years, we can talk about, about yeah. <laughs> how you broke the world record and walking barefoot um, through India. Thank you, David. It was a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much. And uh, have a great day.